0: They hate Kevin McCarthy. I mean, I get it, but I don't. Like, he doesn't seem like the devil. I know that he's considered light on policy and he's not conservative enough, but like, who's better than him?
1: Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Friday, November 25th. I know you're trying to not talk about politics over Thanksgiving weekend, but hopefully you're far enough away from your annoying uncle right now because Tara Palmieri is here to talk about two of the biggest questions facing the Republican party over the holidays. First, will Kevin McCarthy actually become Speaker of the House? And second, was Donald Trump's super early presidential announcement a dud, or will it actually help him in the long run? Tara and I dig into the Washington gossip we hear about all that and more in today's episode of Powers That Be. Quick math. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be, netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Happy Friday, everybody. I hope everyone got a lot of tryptophan sleep last night. Thank you for spending your Friday with Tara Palmeri and I to talk about Republican politics. Tara, how are you? Happy Thanksgiving.
0: Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Black Friday, really. I know you're shopping like a psychopath right now, Peter.
1: <laughs> I do like to shop. I do like to shop. Hey, Tara, you know, there are two big stories I want to talk to you about in the GOP. One is uh, the nascent Trump re election campaign, the other is Kevin McCarthy, who, you know, Republicans have reclaimed the House. It's official after, you know, a week's worth of vote counting, but still, he got challenged for his republican leadership post by Andy Biggs a conservative he won the majority out of that vote but Andy still got 31 votes um and that was basically like a show vote from the you know maga matt gates wing of the Republican caucus say that, hey, Kevin McCarthy, you are barely gonna get control of the speakership in the first place. And like, I don't think you have the votes because come January 3rd, he has to go on the floor and somehow wrangle 218 votes from Congress to become the next Speaker of the House. And you have a piece up with Tina Wynn right now on Puck, where according to your reporting, a lot of the Republicans you're talking to say there's only like a 50% chance he even gets to 218. What's the latest on this?
0: Well, okay, so there is another hell no from Ralph Norman of South Carolina.
1: Oh, South Carolina's fifth,
0: Ralph. He told Politico that I can't believe you know that district. That's amazing.
1: I mean, I was I, I used to work and report in South Carolina, so I can tell you a lot about the fifth district. Um, but go on, <laughs> it's You're a separate. You're such pod. <laughs> a
0: political nerd. It gives you so much cred right now. But yes, he joins four others two being Andy Biggs and Matt Gates, who are also hell nos Matt Rosendale and Bob Good are like, mm, no, definitely not, but like could possibly be maybe persuaded elsewhere. But, you know, you said there were 31 votes against McCarthy. There are also five write-ins for other people. So he really has like 37. And how many of those silent no's are really hell no's? We don't really know that. I think every day we'll tell. Here's the problem. We still don't know the number of House seats, but if... McCarthy ends up getting to 222. Republicans have 222 seats. He can lose those four. But if he gets anything less than that, he has to peel off one of them. It's not an easy feat. And like, I just can't imagine these guys going back on their words again. Right now, he's got three hell no's. I don't know. I'm not very good at math, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't really help you. He could get someone like Jared Golden from Maine. Maybe he's a Democrat to abstain that would be a stretch. You know. like, yeah, I'm seeing your face right now. And you're looking at me like I'm high. <laughs> so I don't know. Everyone I talk to is like, he's going to go for broke. Don't expect this to be a Boehner thing where he decides not to go to the floor for the vote because he knows he's going to lose. He's just going to go out there and then it's going to turn into chaos. And the question is, like, do people really want his number two, Steve Scalise? Like, does is that enough for the Freedom Caucus? They hate Kevin McCarthy. I mean, I get it, but I don't. Like, he doesn't seem like the devil or that bad of a guy. I know that he's considered light on policy and not, you know, a wonk. He's not conservative enough. But like, who's better than him? They don't have someone from their own ranks. They haven't really, I mean, Andy Biggs, but that's not going to happen. The moderates are the reason that the Republicans even have the House right now. Moderates from New York and California.
1: You're exactly right.
0: They're kind of like flexing a little bit too much. I could see a moderate rebellion. I'm just curious what you think will happen. I
1: think you are correct. Yes, the New York delegation, those are moderates. Those are frankly people that if I was Joe Biden or Ron Klain, I'd make some phone calls too for the next couple of years. But they only have the majority because those are the Republicans, the moderates, quote unquote, who who defied the sort of Democratic wins everywhere else in, in races that were supposed to go to the GOP. But I think you're right too. Like, I don't think Kevin McCarthy... Is getting invited to join Mensa anytime soon. Um, his strength is not uh, necessarily, it never has been, that he's a policy person. His uh, strength has never really been like he's you know deep in the rules of Washington in the way that like Mitch McConnell or Nancy Pelosi are. His strength is that he will tell anybody and everybody what they want to hear as long as they like him. And that has been his way to climb the ladder of politics going back to like high school for this guy. And so, you know, if you are Andy Biggs or Matt Gates or Ralph Norman, I don't see who the better option is because McCarthy gave oversight to James Comer and letting Jim Jordan keep judiciary where they're going to run the Hunter Biden investigations. It's interesting, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, for example, has come out in support of Kevin McCarthy, you know, for some reason, you know, he's keeping her close because he realizes that the MAGA right in his caucus is like an important power center. And so all of that is to say, Kevin McCarthy will probably give Andy Biggs and Matt Gates and whoever like whatever they want. Not that they can he can just like, you know, arbitrarily remove someone as ranking member from a committee, but I feel like he can make them promises and things. I don't know. I just it feels like he can get there, but like I don't trust. McCarthy as a wily strategist in the way that I would Pelosi or Paul Ryan when they didn't have 218 when they came to the floor in their new congresses when they took over. But they got there and it was sort of like the people who were against them at certain points were abstaining for a variety of ideological reasons. But, I you know, he was able to bring people in and like it just kind of feels like McCarthy shoots from the hip and tries to win a news cycle every week and like flunks up. Uh, And so like, I don't totally trust that he's going to get there. I don't know how it's going to work. And then one other thing too, that just, this is just one of my friends texted me the other day. He was like, there's very often, you know, in each Congress, like members who are just like sick, who like something happens to them and they're like, not there, (laughs) you know? And so like there's never actually like, a total majority, uh, necessarily. And so he only sent that not to say McCarthy won't be speaker, but just to show that at any given moment, getting to 218 is going to be really hard on any vote for the next two years. Like, there are just so many variables. So Tara, like, is there anyone in your mind who could step up and be the number two. It doesn't seem like Andy Biggs is going to be the guy.
0: I mean, Scalise is the most obvious, Steve Scalise.
1: So if McCarthy doesn't get it, then people move to Scalise. That's what Is That's what you're thinking.
0: Yeah, I think automatically. I mean, I've heard moderate talk of like maybe getting some Dems. This isn't from moderates, actually. I'm hearing it more from fearful conservatives who are like, we could end up handing this to the moderates and they could somehow put forward their own candidate. This is a total like House of Cards kind of situation in which they get Democrats to vote for a Republican. Probably won't happen. But like you never know. Like maybe McCarthy ends up doing deals where he's got to cross over the line and he's like asking Josh Gottheimer to vote for him or something like that. You know what I mean? Like Josh Gottheimer is a Democrat from New Jersey, but like he's also part of the bipartisan House Problem Solvers Caucus. Like you never know. Things could happen. There could be calls made. He tried to already get Henry Cuellar, who's from Texas, to switch parties, he said no. So (laughs) who knows what kind of machinations he's working up.
1: Is there a world where, speaking of House of Cards scenarios, where Scalise or even Elise Stefanik, at some point over the next five weeks, realizes, I might have a lane here if I knife McCarthy in the back and start making some phone calls secretly and lining up votes Is that possible?
0: Oh, thousand percent. I could see that more being a Scalise scenario over uh, Stefanik, mainly because I think the conservatives would balk at Elise Stefanik. I could be wrong, but that's my gut. And she did endorse Trump recently, who's like very unpopular among the caucus right now.
1: Yeah, she's been sticking up for him a lot lately, even as he's, his star has been sinking.
0: Yeah, so I don't know. I I think if anyone, Scalise is the most poised Again, I don't think the Freedom Caucus loves him either, but it could just be like a anybody but Kevin thing, kind of like when Paul Ryan was plucked. It was the same thing. It was just anyone but Kevin. Poor guy, right?
1: <laughs> I mean, so, so it would just be... It's
0: all he's ever wanted.
1: I know, but it would just be fate if like the last time he came this close to being speaker... He got on Fox and said some cocky thing about the Benghazi investigation being designed to tarnish Hillary Clinton before her presidential run, which completely undermined the legitimacy of the Benghazi investigation. And so he didn't become speaker. And then again, it would just be fate if like this guy kisses so much ass he like aligns himself to Donald Trump in every possible way and then like gets (laughs) so close and doesn't make it I mean that would be like the wet dream of like every never Trumper like if that happened because they fucking hate that guy (laughs) Tara I'm going to take a quick break and then I do want to talk to you about uh, Donald Trump who is now officially once again a presidential candidate Welcome back, everybody. Hopefully you're not stuck in traffic uh, while listening to this uh, after leaving Grandma's this Friday. Um, Tara, I feel kind of vindicated because we've talked about this a couple of times. I was saying for weeks, like Trump announcing early feels really stupid. I see why he's doing it because he sees DeSantis rising and can't stand anyone else getting attention. He feels like maybe he can inoculate himself against indictments coming down from all of these people investigating him. But... Politically, like doing it right before the holidays, you might just run out of gas by the time you get to Iowa. Like people are just I know Trump has like a very loyal, dedicated base within the Republican Party. The bottom line is like it just feels like a week later, like, yes, you and I are talking about it. Insiders are about like, I don't think anyone fucking cares that he announced. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And he's the kind of guy who could pack a stadium with people and like turn his announcement into like a huge spectacle. And yet he did it in a 200 person ballroom, which is like something that, frankly, a candidate maybe like Pence would have to do. You know what I mean? And yet he kind of like went into this really boring, subdued, low energy speech. And he could have like actually gone out there with a bang. And yeah. And since then, it's sort of felt like a fizzle. The stories are going to change and they're going to start to be about like the money he's raising. So obviously, like first quarter, he'll transfer money from his leadership pack over to MAGA, Inc. And so his numbers won't be terrible. Right. Maybe second quarter, they're not so bad. But by the third quarter, when a lot of these other candidates are in the game, they might not be that great. And the story might be about, you know, how Trump is unable to raise money. And that'll be around June when there are actually other candidates in the game. I agree. Like, why announce so early? It's setting the expectations so high. He always does that. OK, I will say one thing for the Biden administration. They set the expectations very low. And, <laughs> and in a way, it's helped them, right? Trump always sets the expectations so high. And I don't know how he's going to be able to match them this time. But here's the thing. He was so eager to announce. He just really wanted to do it. And then he was in a corner because he felt like if he didn't announce then he would be seen as weak or as an admission that he had somehow had something to do with the lackluster outcome of the midterm elections for the Republicans. So it's like he was kind of forced to it, but I don't know, maybe they couldn't have pulled off the rally.
1: We talked about this on the podcast last week. Like a lot of his advisors, formal, informal, whatever, are out there saying like, Trump's speech, his announcement, like if he can stay this disciplined and low key, he's absolutely like the guy. And like it felt like that announcement speech was designed to be kind of low-key and like not a huge rally and not erratic and just like spraying criticism everywhere. But that's not who Trump is. I mean, that's like it reminds me of when Paul Manafort took over as his campaign manager and he was supposed to like rein Trump in, make it more professional. And that just wasn't who Trump is. And it wasn't his natural appeal. Oh,
0: so are you saying let Trump be Trump?
1: <laughs> no, I'm not saying it. I'm just saying like Trump has only succeeded when he's been Trumped. Uh, So like trying to change him now, I'm skeptical of that. But it did seem like his announcement was designed to be more like that. Yeah,
0: you're not winning back those independents and 20% of the Republican base because Trump seems semi-normal, yeah. like low energy, kind of rambly seem normal he was low energy if you're gonna be the contrast to low energy jeb <laughs> you know then be that person
1: i mean my favorite was matt matt Schlapp, who is like num- number one donald trump remora like riding that guy wherever he like said his speech was boring and that was a good thing and it was like that doesn't seem like a winning strategy it's just to try to change the guy if he can obviously maintain that for two years maybe he can win back some independents, some independent men, maybe, but like- it's No,
0: because Ron DeSantis will get on that stage and like take back those people who are fired up. The whole thing about Trump is that he has people behind him who are fired up. If you want to like pour water on them and pour water on him, he's the fuel to the ignition. You know what I'm
1: (laughs) saying? I do think you're right though. This will allow him to raise gobs of money. You know, Trump was sort of flying by the seat of his pants in both campaigns. His reelection campaign made a lot of really smart investments in digital and just sort of like content creation all over the place. Like they were more professionalized, but they didn't feel like they built like the most serious like field organization. And like if if he is to have a serious Republican primary fight, the advantage early on will be raising a lot of money spending it and building an organization in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada, wherever else you need to do, Super Tuesday. But it does feel like it takes a lot of the excitement out of a, a later announcement. And I do f- frankly think he could have waited until six months before Iowa anyway, just watch the all the other people freak out at each other, like look over their shoulder at Trump on the sidelines and that he can't do that anymore.
0: Exactly. And now they're all talking about getting in there, so... I don't think it was the most strategic move. I mean, they would have literally been sitting on their hands and now they're going to start raising money and now he's got real competition. The
1: next podcast Tara and I do, we need to handicap each of the other people who are not Trump and DeSantis, who are wanting to get in, Chris Christie, Mike Pompeo, Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, et cetera. And we should go through and grade their chances, Tara. Let's do that next time when we're a little more sharp.
0: Totally. And over the holidays, they'll be praying and asking the Lord if they should run.
1: So I'll be praying on it. We'll be praying on it. We'll both pray
0: on it for them. <laughs> if they actually want to defeat Trump, they have to consolidate around one candidate. But if God tells you to run, that means you split the rest of the votes.
1: All right, Tara, we'll do a bonus pod on the 5th District of South Carolina, and I will tell you the best place to eat in Rock Hill. I hope you have a good holiday weekend. See you next week.
0: You too. Thanks,
1: Peter thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. You can visit us at puck.news and on Twitter at pucknews. I'm Peter Hamby. See you next week.